Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. To get it together, trying to help the fellow man. Hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, welcome everybody. It's Tuesday night, and it's time for another Blog Talk Radio. It's really my favorite. I think I have to say my favorite half hour of the week. And uh, I love doing this. Uh, Most of all, I love the guests that I'm able to have. And not only just because I get to ask them questions and pick their brains a little bit and their heart, but I get to share them with you. And uh, it's so much fun uh, to take, in some ways, their uh, there are people who I am friends with, I've known for a long time, and uh, it's a great joy to be able to um, share them with you. And then sometimes, like tonight, uh, it's someone new, even to me. And uh, uh, this this uh, coming together kind of came out of, oh my, um, well, my... My uh, early years of training were from a, uh, a church in Palo Alto, California called Peninsula Bible Church under a pastor there called Ray Stedman. I was discipled by a guy named Ron Ritchie, and uh, uh, that church has gone on to be a very strong discipling place where uh, people have been sent out all over the world, um, and... Uh, uh, not only that, but, and this is something new because this was not there when I was there, um, a recovery program uh, has grown up there. And we are pre- very privileged uh, tonight to have as our guest uh, the recovery pastor at Peninsula um, Bible Church, Andy Burnham, and uh, the exciting thing about this is that this is uh, we are just beginning uh, a 12-week study into the 12 steps um, of AA. Not not necessarily um, because we want to hone in on uh, um, uh, being addicts, but we want to find out what. Uh, what this experience has to teach all of us and um, because it's rich and there are things here I believe that uh, we can learn which we I'm beginning to feel more and more that we can't find learn them from anywhere else perhaps or at least it would be hard pressed and uh, so that's what we're hoping to come out on the other end of 12 weeks of looking at this is a, a, a whole new understanding of ourselves and of our place in the body of Christ and of the gospel and of grace 
and of how we can be em- empathized with the people around us. So uh, this is our first uh, first Tuesday night to delve into this subject. And uh, to help us do that, I'd like to introduce you to uh, a, a very new a new friend of mine, Andy Burnham. Andy, welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Hi, John. So glad you got in touch with me, and I've been praying all afternoon that uh, something about what is said tonight will be a blessing to somebody out there. So thanks for uh, thanks for getting in touch with me and inviting me to uh, uh, talk with you tonight. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for being uh, available and willing on short notice. I really appreciate that. Um, well, you know, first, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Um, and how how did you come to be the recovery pastor at Sunset Bible Church? Well, I definitely have, uh, how shall I put it, certain uh, qualifications uh, for the position. I was kind of the stoned-out hippie in the 60s. I always tell people that I spent... <laughs> Uh, 20 years living in the 60s, and they go, well, that's, you know, that's not mathematically possible, but uh, I did it, uh, you know, doing various chemistry experiments on myself with um, uh, fairly poor results. I think, uh, you know, Jerry Garcia said, uh, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there, and um, I don't remember too much, and what I do remember was, you know, pretty painful. Anyway, so I was a stoned-out hippie, and uh, sort of life fell apart. Uh, for me, and I met uh, a bunch of Christians uh, back when we used to call it the Jesus Freak uh, movement. I was a long-haired mm-hmm. hippie, and they'd found Christ, or Christ had found them. Um, and I started reading the Bible. And um, in the midst of all that, I realized this is true. I knew I was a sinner. I was full of guilt and shame, as most addicts and alcoholics are. And so Christ came into my life. Um, you know, but that was, oh gosh, late late seventies. I guess, and it's been kind of a long and winding road, both up to that point and and since then. Um, came out of a middle class background, and my dad was actually a community college president, and uh, you know, doctorate from Columbia. And I grew up with a lot of the uh, high performance stuff, mm. which is I never felt I was I never felt I was good enough. Never measured up. Felt my my dad wanted Albert Einstein or the president of the United States as a son, and he got stuck with me. So. For most addicts and alcoholics, there's some underlying pain. We call it like the beast in the basement, and the drugs and alcohol are kind of a self-medicating thing for a while. It seemed like that gave me some, you know, Woody Allen said, uh, my only regret is that I wasn't born as someone else. And, you know, that's that's kind of what I felt, and the drugs and alcohol gave me some relief um, from that for a while, and then my life fell apart, and then Christ came into my life, and uh, now we've got the recovery ministry going. At, uh, at PBC, reaching out to other, you know, Ron, you mentioned Ron Ritchie in the introduction. Um, Ron always said, you know, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And that's the way we feel in the recovery ministry. We're not holier than thou, self-righteous, judgmental. It's We're just beggars uh, telling other beggars where to where to find bread, mm-hmm. and that's obviously, you know, Jesus is the, the bread of life. Anyway, that's kind of the short version of a pretty wow. long, long story. But yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, that. Yeah, go ahead. What What is the? Uh, just give us a real quick overview of what what the recovery program is like. 
um, there at PBC. And do you guys use the 12 steps or something like that? Um, uh, no, support? what we're doing, I mean, we've uh, a lot of people there are part of various 12 step programs. And, you know, we might talk later about the value of the, but a lot of folks um, in recovery, they lack the community piece that somebody actually loves them and cares about them, isn't holier than thou, and enfolding them into a group of people that really uh, genuinely love them. Um, we all say that the Lone Ranger approach doesn't work. Uh, trying to beat drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol on your own, you need to be part of a support group, accountability group, band of brothers, band of sisters, posse, you know, church, flock. If you're part of a group moving in the right direction, then hopefully uh, that momentum will help to carry you uh, forward too. So people work the steps, um, but our primary piece is to point them to a deeper relationship with God and to get them uh, more deeply attached into a community of of people that care about them. Um, So anyway, that's kind of our main thrust is uh, on the community piece and then people within the church community then work the steps maybe with a sponsor or so forth. But, um, yeah, I'm more, mostly trying to point them to God, okay. and Jesus is the one they really need. So. Wow. What, what, what turns you on the most about ministering to these people? Oh, change lives. I mean, the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I know God has done that in my life. You know, I was about to blow my brains out. I was, I was about to kill myself, and then Christ came into my life. And now to see that same sort of thing happening in the lives of others, just the, you know, it's like the emergency room at the hospital. You know, you see people coming in ripped up and torn up. They're strung out on meth, strung out on heroin. And then, you know, a year or two or five later, you know, their lives are up and, and, and running and they're glorifying God. And that's the biggest, um, the biggest thrill. But the reality is not all the prodigal sons and daughters make it home. Uh, you know, I just did a memorial service a month or so ago for a guy who got his arm infected from using dirty needles. So it's one of those, you know, tears of joy on one cheek, tears of sorrow on the other. Uh, it's the emergency room. You want everybody to make it, but the reality is um, they don't. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of joy, but you have to be able to live at both ends of the emotional spectrum because uh, just, it's just so intense. And most addicts are what I call drama majors. You know their lives are. Somebody, <laughs> uh, their their lives are. Somebody said a continual emergency, usually of their own making. <laughs> you know, so mm. if there's not a real emergency, they'll they'll uh, create one. So you have to be able to live in a pretty intense environment. But then there's the, like you say, the great joy of seeing people. Uh, their lives change. Ultimately, the Lord changing their lives and transforming them. And that's. Um, uh, I mean, I, uh, there's you know just nothing like it. Seeing you know somebody. Uh, you know, I once was lost, but now is found, and found was blind with. Now I see that. That's just a great joy for me. Great joy for me. Can Can you put some flesh on that, maybe, and and just tell us maybe one <clears throat> typical story? Um, sure. Somebody... <laughs> typical. Yeah. 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 I tell you a story of a guy um, uh, sure. okay. who um, <laughs> he lived out near Sacramento in kind of a rural area, and um, a meth addict, and he uh, his wife painted the inside of the house a color that he didn't like. So she left after, after uh, you know, she left the house after she painted it, and he decided the best thing to do was to burn the house down. 
You know, I'll mm-hmm. show her. So he got high on meth, burnt the house down. The you know the police and the fire department show up, and they said, "Well, what did you do?" And he said, "Well, I burnt my house down." And they said, "Well, you can't do that." He said, "Yeah, sure, I can. It's my house." Uh, and they said, "No, actually, you can't just start a fire." Anyway, he ended up at uh, one of the programs at the Menlo Park VA hospital, and then started coming to our recovery ministry at um, at PBC. And gave his life to Christ. He is now on our steering committee of our recovery ministry. This guy has more joy. It's just this contagious joy um, mm. that just kind of you know exudes from his life. And you know, so that kind of thing. You go from strung out on meth, burning your house down, to praising God and being on the steering committee, and just um, you know, it's just a tremendous Boy. joy to see somebody like oh, like yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, and then we see that. It, it, it's just no denial uh, no, of 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 the real the reality of Christ in somebody's life, and then yeah. is, isn't that true? I mean, you can and you can you see well, yeah, Christ that's what I say, the, the, yeah, the power of a transformed life, a life that's really mm-hmm. changed. I mean, it isn't just you know some theological truth. I mean, I love theology as much as the next guy, but when you see a life that's been changed by Jesus Christ, and so a lot of our ministry is personal testimony stuff. You know, if God can help somebody like me, he can sure help somebody like you. I'm no better than you are. And so that that power of a transformed life uh, brings about, you know, it says in Acts, uh, you know, you will be my witnesses. And mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the great witnesses is a life that has really been changed. And, and it's no, there's no denying it. These guys may not be experts in theology, but they're experts in what God has done for them. And they speak with a tremendous passion, tremendous authority, and it's real. That's the thing about recovery ministry. I think you know you were suggesting earlier what, what can the uh, the larger church learn from recovery ministry? It's real. People are really talking about what's going on in their life. It's not just theoretical or theological. It's God changed mm-hmm. my life, and that is just so refreshing to sense the Lord at work in a life. And then changing, uh, changing that life. So that's, that's kind great. of a lot of uh, the, the, the reality part is, uh, you know, there's no facades, there's no masks, there's no pretense. Um, because if you come in strung out on meth, everybody knows your life is messed up. Uh, so there's no nothing to hide. And there's no judgmental attitude. It's uh, we call it a come as you are party. You know, just show up, well, you know, keep coming well. back. It works, as they say in AA meetings. So. Anyway, so there's that kind of the real part, the changed life, the power of personal testimony, um, and people find it exciting, and it is exciting. Um, can we go, Andy? Can we go a little further down that road of uh, what sure. you know? What do recovery programs and the people they serve have to offer the rest of us? Are there some other yep. other things you could bring out um, to us? Well, well, I think you know to start with is the transparency. Um, you know, it's kind of like, Lord, Lord, forgive me. But I mean, <laughs> a lot of times I don't feel um, f- folks sometimes in other segments of the church are as open and transparent. And the recovery ministry provides a tremendous example of what it, it's like when people really share what's going going on with them. And particularly those areas in their life where they're broken and hurting and they feel like they can stand up and share, and and 
sometimes in other parts of the church, people are worried if I said what was really going on with me, there'd be gossip and rumors would get spread all over town. So I'm not going to really say what's going on with me. And so I think the recovery ministry sets a tremendous example for transparency. You can't bear, you know, we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, but if you don't know somebody's got a burden, you know, you can't yeah. bear it. And, and, and recovery folks, <laughs> sometimes they, they tell you more than, uh, more than you want to know. But I think that sense of brokenness and being transparent about brokenness, mm-hmm. I wish I saw uh, more of that in other um, uh, segments of, of yeah. the church church body. So that's kind of a... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it could you know, be a win-win deal because re- recovery folks need more stability and uh, main congregation folks need oh. more transparency. So it could could be a win-win deal if um, the integration is it, is or the inclusion... Well, it's it's really hard. This has been my huge challenge is to get over this us-them mentality. Sometimes they talk about it as normies and addicts. Um, And, it's you know, I've been doing this for like 15 years. I've been on staff for 11 years. And there's some integration, but it's still – there's fear on both ends of the bridge. The, The recovery folks always feel less than. You know, they walk into a room, you know, mm-hmm. in Palo Alto, it's like this is uh, Silicon Valley. It's all the world's overachievers. We talk about IQ per pew, <laughs> and there's a lot of <laughs> IQ per pew. I mean, these are just smart, smart people and, and recovery folks. You know, they've dropped out of high school. They walk into, a, uh, you know, our main sanctuary, and, and nobody's trying to make them feel bad. It's just that they walk in, they feel less than. I'm less educated. I've got less money. And then sometimes, again, Lord, forgive me, I mean, our sermons uh, tend to be pretty meaty. You know, here's the historical Mm -hmm. context. Here's the Greek etymology, justification, sanctification. My guys are going, I'm trying to make it through the day without sticking a needle in my arm. And I'm in a room full of people that make me feel less than, and they're talking about stuff that doesn't seem to have any real application. So anyway, they're afraid to go to the main church. And then main church folks, if one of my guys comes in covered with, you know, full sleeves of tattoos and comes up to one of the, uh, the little old ladies and says, uh, I just got out of jail on assault charge. Will you be my friend? I mean, you know, that can be pretty off-putting. So anyway, there's fear on both ends of the bridge. And so it's just been really challenging. Uh, we have some integration, some uh, crossover um, and in some ways, there's more crossover for the main, from the main congregation into the recovery ministry than the other way around, which is people sense that God's doing something in the recovery ministry, and they just kind of want to show up to check things out. We've got a Sunday morning recovery worship service, <laughs> and so that's uh, kind of wild and crazy, and people jumping up and down and yelling and whatnot. But um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that really kind of okay. answers your question. But the but the my dream is to have the meth addict standing right next to the the Stanford doctoral student who's never touched a drop of alcohol and for everybody to be praising God together. And then people go, how could you get a meth addict standing next to your Stanford PhD? And you just go, gosh, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that would happen. So that's the vision. We've made some steps toward it, but we're not not there by any means trying to get the integration going. Can Can you... Boy, can you offer us any ideas along those lines? Um, any thoughts about how we might bridge that gap between us and them in our own experiences? Yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of it is just getting out of the comfort zone. 
you know, how do you get over fear? And a lot of it is just being willing to take some risks. You know, because, um, like I say, folks um, in the main congregation, if they walk up to one of the attics, sometimes it's like, well, you know, if I make this, if uh, if I say hi to this person, they're going to ask me for money, or I don't know what I'm getting myself into, and uh, maybe this person's, we call it dual diagnosis, they've got a mental health issue as well as a drug addiction issue, and a lot of it's just asking people to take some risks. Just step out of your comfort zone, just say hi. Uh, to somebody and, and just see what the Lord uh, Lord does. Again, Ron Ritchie always used to say, just show up. Uh, Lord, help mm-hmm. me to just show mm-hmm. up. I mean, I was talking, you know, to kind of build on that a little bit, uh, to one of the homeless women, and I said, what's the hardest part about being homeless? And she said, it's the dehumanization. People no longer treat you like a person. You're just a rock, a lamppost, you know, a bench. And just by saying so hi, stepping out of the you know, yeah, you're invisible, you don't exist. And if mm-hmm. somebody shows some genuine care, just saying hi, uh, it kind of repersonalizes, rehumanizes things. It's, it's a lot of them are like, you know, plants that have some water poured on them uh, after a long time. So a lot of it is a willingness to step out of the comfort zone and then just see what God does. You know, um, so I, I think that's kind of the, the, you know, kind of square one in terms of, how do you get the integration? There's not really that much yeah. difference between people who are recovering from drugs and alcohol and everybody else. Um, we're all messed yeah. up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, one of the, yeah, go that's ahead. What, go ahead. I, I, t- I tend to go uh, on and on. My wife's, my wife says when I die, they're going to have to kill my <laughs> mouth separately. So. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. I love what you painted though about the, uh, about the, the, the intellectual church services and the and, and the guys, men and women you're working with, just trying to get through uh, another yep. day sober. And yep. um, you know, but it seems like you know, like you say, we really need each other. And I, I think that it may be that the the mainstream people need the recovery people almost yes. more than the other way around. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, and I think it's, a, you know, it's the body of Christ. Somebody's a hand, somebody's a foot, somebody's an eye, and you can't just, you know, have certain parts of the body of Christ separate from other parts. The body just doesn't work as well as the Lord wants it to. And so I think a lot of that is praying God, somehow help us to be genuinely. We want to be the church, not play church, somebody said. Help mm-hmm. us to genuinely be the church and realize that, you know, it's a two-way blessing thing. The recovery folks can bless uh, the people in the main congregation. The main congregation people can bless the recovery folks. It's a win-win uh, thing. It's yeah. just that we've got to overcome yeah. the, the fear The fear factor is the big thing to overcome. Yeah. 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 How familiar, Andy, are you with the with the twelve step program? Have you been through it yourself, and do you use it, or uh, uh, no? You, like, like I say, and, I was yeah, I was the, yeah, I was the stone. Yeah, I like I say, I was the stoned out hippie that basically got pulled right into the church. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a twelve step program or AA or NA mm-hmm. or any of the other recovery things. Um, I have a Calvary Chapel background, Chuck Smith all that kind of thing. So I got pulled into that. 
the church, and the Lord really worked in my life. But in retrospect, I think he actually took me through the steps uh, over time. You know, the, the 12 steps, uh, you know, were basically founded by Christians. Um, you know, Bill W., Dr. Bob, uh, you know, the reason the steps work is because they're biblically grounded. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying the steps and whatnot, but um, and, and working with people who are in the going through the 12 step programs. But in my own case, I didn't even know there was such a thing as 12 step stuff. I just kind of get pulled into the church and a bunch of people love me. And, uh, you know, so that was my own uh, kind of journey. So it's a bit strange to be in a recovery ministry and then feel like I'm not really a, a you might say, an AA guy or an NA guy, even though. I spent a lot of time talking to people about, um, you know, the 12-step programs and so forth. So I've learned a lot over the years, but that wasn't really the, I guess you might say, the initial uh, road that the Lord had me on to get out of my addiction. So, What do you think of some of the values of, I mean, the important things that the 12-step program does for people? Well, I mean, to begin with, there's just a, a you know, a brokenness. You know, you start off with, you know, step one, uh, you know, admitted we were powerless over whatever in our lives had become unmanageable. I think that's a tremendous value to realize I've made a mess out of my life. And then to start to realize, you know, step two came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I'm powerless. He's powerful. Step one is I can't. Uh, step two is he can and then step three is, the short version is, I'll let him, uh, you know, turn our will and over the care of God, uh, will in our lives over the care of, of God. So it starts off with a brokenness. It starts off with an admission that I can't do it. And I wish there was more of a sense of that, um, you know, in the, in, in the other segments of the, of, of the church. And I think that's a tremendous value because then it leads to a genuine dependence on God. I can't live life. I've made a mess out of my life. God, please show up. Please help me. And you're not under the illusion that you can make life work somehow in your own strength and ability. So I think a lot that the, the church would benefit from more of that brokenness, a sense of I am personally powerless. Um, I don't have what it takes. And then there's kind of a heartfelt, God, if you don't show up, the Titanic is going down. You know, all is lost without you. And and the recovery ministry has that sense of just a desperate need to cling on to Jesus. Um, because all, you know, we all say, your best thinking has gotten you here. And if your best thinking has just got you strung out on meth and living your car and you're suicidal and you got hepatitis C and your three ex-wives don't want to talk to you and your dog just died. Um, anyway, there's that brokenness that I wish, uh, I, I just think is a powerful yeah. thing that uh, the steps start off by getting you to be, to be real about, I can't do it. I yeah. can't, he can, I'll let him. And yeah. then starting to dig into the underlying issues, you know, made a yeah. step four, yep. made a searching and fearless moral inventory Let's we call it the beast in the basement. Let's start getting real about the stuff that's been driving you, driving your addiction. And like I say, I think that would benefit uh, the main church, the rest of the church, as well. To start getting real, uh, you know, it says in 
was it, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I think that really happens in recovery ministry. You know, people want to find out what is this beast in the basement that's been driving me, and let an empowered by the Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal to me those deep things where I'm one sick puppy. I am really messed up, and then change me, lead me in the way everlasting. So there's that kind of that initial brokenness, and then that's followed by a desire to really look deeply into uh, what's been driving me, what's been making me tick. Um, So I think those things uh, in particular um, uh, can be taken from the 12 steps and and be beneficial to the rest of the church. And then just the practical stuff, you know, making amends. You know, going back and tell people you're sorry for the things that you've done. Um, You know, there's a lot of that. A lot of that that happens where you see real apologies being made and real relationships being restored. Uh, anyway, those kind of few things oh. just kind of off the top. That, that, um, oh, Andy, that's that great. I, what a great, great summary, uh, and, and I appreciate that uh, so much. Um, gosh, you're just hearing you talk like this. It's like we. It, this seems to be what what the church needs more than anything else. Uh, uh, you know, I, George Barna uh, wrote a book called uh, Maximum Faith, and um, in it, he he studied, uh, I, I don't know how many, but, you know, he's a researcher. And so he did research on Christians, a large number of Christians in the country, and came up with seven stages of, of growth. Um and and this was not something he made up. This was a result, result of his study and his research. And um, what he came up with was, uh, because he, the key was he was looking for at what point does transformation really take place? When do people's lives change? And And what he came up with was step seven. It happens at seven, and and no surprise. Guess what? Step seven was brokenness. Humbly, yeah. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Yeah. 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 And 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 from his study, he concluded that like eighty, it appeared to be eighty eighty three percent of the people that he researched are not beyond yeah. step three, which is just yeah. Association yeah. with one another, yeah. and, and step and, four uh, tends to be the hardest one. The fearless moral inventory is where most people run aground, and they never get to step seven because, you know, it's like I've been drinking to try to numb the pain, and then when I'm asking God to reveal to me my shortcomings, that just increases my pain, and so then they relapse, and so I get a lot of people. It's like just when they look like they're about to make some progress they relapse again because all of a sudden the pain that they've been trying to numb or avoid uh, through substances, uh, now that pain is becoming real. But, yeah, no, that's so they make it through the first yeah. three steps and then kind of crash and burn. That's typical. Well, so, do you think we can do this, Andy? Do you think, do you think we can, as, as, as normal folks, <laughs> you know, uh, 
go through those 12 steps and, 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 and learn some serious things about our lives? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of books out there. You know, you want to get the, the theological stuff, you know, Dallas Willard kind of things and spiritual transformation and spiritual disciplines. They, they all kind of are looking for that. You, know, you were talking about, you know, real change. I want to be more like Jesus, you know. Second Corinthians mm-hmm. 3, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. How do you do that? And I think the, the, the steps and the principles that are biblical principles are put in a way that are accessible to regular folks. You don't need a Ph.D. from Stanford, Harvard, or whatever to grasp some of these things. Cool. They're basic fundamental truths that I think you know, are, are easily accessible to most people. That's why it's so you know, widespread, because people feel like, I can get this. I don't have to get uh, you know high powered theology, you know. I, like I say, I love theology and so forth. But this is put in a way that uh, regular folks can benefit from. So yeah, yeah. Wow. So I think uh, I think it'd be tremendously helpful uh, for folks to kind of get uh, get serious. And uh, it says in the big book, half measures avail us nothing. Right? If you're half hearted, mm. if you're lukewarm. You know, if you sort of want to quit heroin, but you sort of don't, it's not going to work. And so a lot of, mm. you know, Jesus says, I mean, Jesus says in John 5, do you want to get well? You know, he asked the, the guy by the pool yes. of Bethesda, do yeah. you want to get well? And that's what I'm usually asking people. Are you all in? Or are you just going to do half measures? And so a lot of it, I think, starts with a prayer. Lord, do I really want to change? Do I really want to get well? Whether you're an addict or, you know, whether you're... Uh, you know, recovering from something else. Uh, a lot of it starts mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. Give me the the wholehearted desire uh, to really want to change, to be more like Jesus. Um, uh, there's uh, there's a book, one of the famous books on the history of AA. It's called Not God by a guy named Ernest Kurtz, and he says uh, recovery starts with the idea there is a God and you're not Him. <laughs> so a lot of it is for us to get off the throne, step into the uh, step into the steps, really, and say, Lord, please change me. I want to be more like you. Do whatever it takes, Lord. Change me. And that's going to involve uh, some kind of painful revelations, but, but God's in the midst of it. Uh, so, wow. Yeah. Exciting Andy, stuff. I, exciting. I, you know, it's exciting. So yeah. I, I can't think of a, a, a better introduction to our study than what you've given us here in, in 30 short minutes. So uh, I just can't thank you enough. Thank okay, you so John. much. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, like I say, I'm praying something that was said will be a blessing to somebody. So thanks thanks a lot. Appreciate yep. your I know it will be. Maybe Maybe we can have you back again when we, uh, you know, when we're, when we're done or when we're, you know, halfway through or something, we'll, we'll talk about it. So uh, thank you so much. For being our Sounds guest. good, and may the Lord uh, bless your ministry, John. Yep. Bye. Okay. Thanks, Andy. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go, folks. That was so cool, and that was a great beginning. Um, I hope that you'll you'll go back and you know I I got to listen to this again, and uh, I hope that maybe you'll uh, that's the beauty about uh, our blog talk radio shows. They are podcasts, and you can go back and get them. They're going to end up on on iTunes. You can get them there. Um, You can get your friends to listen, um, because I think 
this is a great introduction to what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. So uh, God bless. Read the catch every day. We're going to try and unpack this little by little. We're already two days into step one, so um, follow us along. And then also there's a study you can get involved in, an actual study cell group you can get in online and get involved with that. Terry Main is going to be leading that, and uh, that that's going to be super. So uh, you can find out more about that um, at our at our uh, website, um, catchjohnfisher.com. So there you go. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, keep up with us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.